You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to Beyond the Ordinary. We're so glad you're here with us today. And I have a very special guest, Dr. Amber Selking. She is one of the most important voices today in helping people get their head in the right place to deliver their maximum results. And so it's been so wonderful for me to get to know her. She just had a book come out called Winning the Mental Game, the playbook for building championship mindsets. It is absolutely hands down the best book I've read all year. And uh, listeners, you know, I read constantly. This is absolutely the best book I've read all year. And normally I give an introduction to whoever our guest is, but today we're going to go off script because in her book, the one that actually does her introduction is the great Lou Holtz. And there's no way that I can deliver a better introduction than Lou Holtz would. So I'm going to share Coach Holtz's introduction with you. This is obviously Coach Holtz from Notre Dame. And we'll share his introduction, and then we'll just kick it off with Amber. So, Amber, thanks so much for being here today. Absolutely, Tommy. It's an honor and a blessing to be with you, and I'm excited to dive into our conversation. Well, let's go. And I'm so excited to show our listeners what Coach Holtz had to say about you. So here's the foreword from Dr. Selking's book. For me, high performance has always been about the power of a positive attitude and the discipline of personal responsibility. As a football coach, I understood the importance of training the mind and the will in our young people. What Dr. Selking does is put words, understanding, and training behind the very things I knew to be true as a coach. The first time I met Amber, she wasn't a doctor yet. She was simply filled with love, passion, and determination to make a positive impact in this world. As I watched her apply herself to the development of her craft and shared a stage with her for many years... I witnessed one of the best and the brightest high-performance professionals emerge. Now with her doctorate and loads of experiences under her belt, she remains humble and hungry, and her fire to help other people to succeed grows with every encounter we have. I signed a football for her one time with these words, and I'm actually going to save that part for the very end, but we'll give you those words at the end when I get to ask my question that everybody wants to know. We'll come back to that. Dr. Selking breaks down the mental game in a way I've never seen articulated before. It goes beyond the what and gives you the how around building the strong mental performance foundation that I know leads to success. By weaving in her diverse experiences with athletes and professionals alike, Dr. Selking is the real deal for anyone on a journey to become the very best they can be. She's the best in the business at helping you and your team build the mindsets that drive positive, lasting results. So lock in. If you can take just one thing away from Dr. Selking and implement it into your life, I know you'll be a better person, leader, coach, athlete, parent, or spouse because of it. And that's from Coach Lou Holtz. So audience, Absolutely. As Coach Holt said, let's lock in. We're so excited to be here with you today, Amber. We're going to get to the wonderful wisdom you do in your work day in and day out. And we're going to get to your book. We're going to talk about building championship mindsets, but you didn't start there. So I want to go all the way back to you kind of getting your start on the athletic field. 
And take us there and how that kind of leads to this whole journey at Notre Dame. Yeah, you know, I'll go back even a little further. I was blessed to be raised by an incredible mom and dad in us in small town USA out in the country. And the town I grew up in is a typical small town. We had one stoplight and more cattle than humans. And it wasn't diverse from an ethnic standpoint. But I was so fortunate to grow up with a diversity of experiences. My parents had McDonald's franchises. And so I grew up with one foot in the business world and seeing what it, you know, it was my dad's first job and he was 14. And so to see him work his way to an owner operator and the work and the dedication and the responsibility that a business when it's your own, right, has on a family was really critical to see. My mom was an extension agent for 20 years before helping my dad run the business. And so we grew up in the 4-H world and actually showed lives stock around the country. I raised lambs and pigs and showed. And so I got to, you know, be around hardworking country people that were dedicated to their craft and travel the country doing so. And, you know, you get to see if I don't get up in the morning and feed these dudes, they're going to die. Right. Or if, you know, we birthed a lot of babies and so most of them make it, but some of them don't. And so you sort of see birth and death and life and what all goes with that. And then I was an athlete. So I was a soccer player growing up and played a little basketball as well. And so I got to be in the sports space and my academics were really important to me. And so it was really neat to have my foot in all these different areas. And then my faith really stood as a central sort of thread that wove all those things together. And so again, at a very young age, I was fortunate enough to see how hard, the very things Coach Holsch just said, like how attitude and hard work and discipline and consistency lead to excellence, regardless of what field you go into. To. And so I'd committed to the Naval Academy my senior year of high school to play soccer and tore my first knee a month before I was supposed to leave for plebe summer. And that's how I wound up at Notre Dame, which, you know, if you could wind up anywhere, what a blessing to go to ND. And I was a recruited walk on there. And so I actually redshirted my fall season and then played my spring season and actually wound up getting cut after my freshman year. And I went through this identity crisis of, you know, if I'm not Amber, the soccer player, who am I? And I was going to transfer and play, but there was a a critical individual in my life, Harold Swanigan, that was at Notre Dame. And he really convinced me to stay and to be part of the Notre Dame family. And looking back, I am so glad that I did, you know, but I led Notre Dame Christian athletes. And that was sort of my way to like ease my ego out of sports, I thought, before I went and worked in corporate America right out of undergrad. And I was working for this global publicly traded manufacturing company. And it was so interesting because you know, you leave the bubble of Notre Dame where everybody's super driven and cares about everything and works really hard. And, you know, we sit around as kids and talk about politics and religion and how we need to change the world. And then you get into the real world, quote unquote, and everybody's just waiting for happy hour. And I was like, and it was really interesting. You know, Tommy, I saw it was just like in sports. You've got some people that are uber talented, but they don't work really hard. And I always used to get so frustrated with these people because I'm like, oh my God, if I had an ounce of your talent, imagine what I could do in the world. And then there's other people that they weren't really as talented, but they worked their tail off and always seemed to like outkick their coverage, if you will. And so just like in sport, you had that in business. And so that really got me asking the questions of like, 
what goes into human high performance and can we understand it? And just like I noticed those trends when I was little about, man, such different people, but all working really hard and doing really good things, how could we understand that more and maybe even replicate it in people? And so that's what set me on my journey in human high performance. And that's sort of my little life journey in a nutshell. (laughs) Well, it's such a tremendous way to get started. I love how you said, you know, I wound up at Notre Dame. Just shows the level of commitment you would put in to getting to that level where, you know, the Naval Academy was excited to have you. And and I actually, I think about these things a lot, Dr. Selking. My son is a student athlete, definitely on D1 pace in track and field. And his current pursuits, he really thinks he'd like to go to West Point. And so, but I'm constantly thinking when he's out playing basketball or he's, you know, all these things, it's like, it just takes one injury and it's going to throw him off course for what at the moment he is going after the hardest. And so- do my best to just let him be a typical 16 year old. But those things are always in my mind, like, you know, one knee injury and you had to change course. If you're willing to share in that moment, when you're going through that level of difficulty, was this like, ah, I was pretty resilient and, you know, it is a four or was this like, oh my gosh, I'd put everything into this. This was a 10 at the time. Oh, it was a 10 at the time. I mean, I never to the extent that I was like, you know, I mean, I I guess there's a conversation in our world today. It's so sad. I mean, suicide is up 200% in young people today through COVID. And so it was never to, to that extent, but in a normal cognitive functioning individual, I mean, it was the worst pain I'd ever felt. And I still have a vivid memory of standing on the corner of the Joyce Athletic Complex at Notre Dame. And I started to walk to a classroom and I was like, no, I can't go that way. And I wanted to go back to my dorm, but I was like, no, because what am I going to say when they're like, I'm Amber, the soccer player. And if I'm not, who am I? And I just remember feeling hollow from like the base of my neck to the bottom of my stomach. And I didn't know where to go and I didn't know who to talk to. And so I just shut down and I isolated and it was finals week. And so I locked in and I studied. I didn't even tell my parents. And I just remember like crying like when I wasn't studying, thinking like, what am I going to do with my life? And at the same time, you know, my life verse at that point and since then was Jeremiah 29, 11, because I'm a typical athlete, right? And my high school number was 11 and 11 was taken when I went to college. So I became 29 because two plus nine equals 11 and Jeremiah 29, 11. I was like, ah, it's a good verse, but you know, whatever. It's cool too, because it's got my numbers. And I, I just used to think, man, if anybody, I used to sign everything like a lat, you know, and listeners, I just want to cut in for those of you that don't know what Dr. Selking's talking about. And I know many of our listeners don't come from a Christian worldview, and we're still glad you're here. When she's talking about Jeremiah 29, 11, it's uh, just such an iconic, important verse in the Bible. It's the Lord speaking to Jeremiah saying, I know the plans I have for you. And so when she's saying that was my life first, it was just as all these things are crumbling down around her, she still knows in her heart, God has this incredible plan for me. I don't mean to put words in your mouth. I just want to make sure we catch anybody up that may not know what you're talking about there. Yeah. And that's exactly it. Right. Tommy is like, I signed that verse every day for nine months because we were the number one ranked team in the country and little girls always wanted stuff signed thinking 
oh, if somebody ever reads that, it's good. When in that moment, it was really fascinating. I had my meeting with my coach and they were like, come back in two hours and we'll tell you what we decided. And I was like, what? Shouldn't you have made this decision before I got there? But they didn't. And so I left. And again, I couldn't study. So I opened my email and I was getting daily devotionals from FCA at the time. And it opened with Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for your life, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And at that moment, I think my spirit knew I'm about to get cut. <laughs> and then I got mad, you know, and so I was like, they're not going to see me cry again. And so I like sucked it up and I just went back to my coaches and I just bit the inside of my mouth apart. And I just kept saying like Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah 29, 11. And so that really became an anchor for me to hold on to through that season. And I think that that I gave a talk one time to a financial company, and it was right in the middle of 2020 when our world was going through these conversations. But in the US, it specifically, it was an election year. We had a lot of racial tension in our society and a lot of social injustice conversations happening. And, you know, we were talking about the power of the mind and the importance of positive thinking. And I had a woman ask on a national broadcast, how can I remain positive when I see men and women, men that look like my son getting murdered in broad daylight? And, you know, my response to her was, you know, positivity does not mean acting like things are wonderful and that everything is okay right now. Positive thinking is really about anchoring your hope in a future that you truly believe will come to fruition. And that to me is how we navigate some of the most challenging adversities in our lives. And I think that, you know, what we know is that the brain in a positive state, it thinks more clearly, it thinks more creatively, and it problem solves better. And so when things get really challenging in our lives is, is when we need our brains processing and thinking clearly the most. And that's what positivity can bring us. But again, what do you have your hope anchored to? And in that moment, that's that's what brought that, that peace and comfort and perspective to how to navigate the future. And what's interesting, you asked like, you know, was this all a waste? That question came to my mind. I mean, I had invested at that point, I was I have invested probably 11 years of my life, like with the goal of becoming a division one college athlete. Like that's all I did. That's why I ate certain things. That's why I drank certain things. That's why I didn't drink other certain things. And you know, the sacrifices that I made, I was like, what was that even for? And I just remember having clarity of like soccer brought me as far as it could. And if I did not invest myself that much and that deeply and that consistently, I wouldn't know how to be great. But soccer's brought me as far as it could. So what's next? Like, how can those lessons be translated? And I think that's something that's really important for us to understand of whatever we're doing, we need to work at it with all of our hearts, with intention and purpose, because it's not about the outcomes we're achieving in the moment. It's about who we're becoming in that process. And that's what our coach said to us all the time. He used to say like, you know, we don't drink in season. And just so you're, there's no mistake, we are in season all year long, because if you want to be a national champion, champion, then you have to act like a national champion in everything you do. And, you know, again, we went undefeated my freshman year and lost in the national championship game against North Carolina. And again, that sort of registered and man, we weren't holding the trophy, but we became champions in that process because of what we dedicated ourselves toward. And I think that any of us, anyone, any of our listeners right now, like whether you're a parent or a spouse or a business leader, an entrepreneur, like 
work at those things with all of your heart because it's not the outcomes we're chasing. It's the journey of becoming. And most people don't go hard enough and deep enough to truly become something. And that's what I learned through that process. It's fantastic. I appreciate your your vulnerability. You're willing to share about that. And actually, one of the hardest times in my life also revolved around soccer. And so I started playing late, started playing actually in high school, but picked it up very quickly. I give all the credit to a guy named Ryan Brenneman. At the time, he was the all-time leading scorer in Michigan high school soccer history. Wow. And he played offense on our team. Coach put me on defense because I was quick and I had zero ball handling skills. So I could just catch people, take them out. So I ended up playing sweeper. And so I would play against the all-time leading scorer in Michigan history, at the time at least, every day in practice. So I got really, really good, ended up on some of the top travel teams in Michigan. And we came down to Fort Wayne to play in a tournament. This is the summer before my senior year. And we made it to the tournament finals. We were cleaning up on everybody. And in the tournament finals, this guy on the other team scored seven goals, not on our keeper, not on our goalie. He scored seven goals on me. He could do anything he wanted to with me at will. He could do anything he wanted. And Dr. Selkin, I took one look at this guy and, you know, we're going to talk about mindset here, but this was my mindset as a, at the time as a 16 year old, I took one look at that guy. I said, that guy is college material. I'm not. Mm. And I immediately set aside after that one game, I set aside any hope of playing at the next level in college. Here's what I found out almost a decade later, that player that did whatever the heck he wanted to me ended up being this gentleman named Demarcus Beasley, who went on to become the greatest soccer player in American history. (laughs) So I gave up my college hopes after getting smoked by the all-time greatest soccer player in American history. It's like losing a basketball game to Michael Jordan and feeling (laughs) like, okay, I should never play basketball again. But I did that to myself. I allowed that one game to completely take me out of that mindset that I was good enough for college. So as we're talking about mindset, feel free to pick on that if you'd like. It all worked out okay. I ended up starting my first company at age 19, probably because I wasn't playing soccer. Ended up meeting my wife that year. Ended up marrying her a year later uh, just because I knew I was. there was no way on earth I was ever going to do better. Uh, Everyone that knows her knows like I married way, way up. And so, but yeah, it was one of the hardest times of my life. I went from this identity of, I think I'm going to go play at the next level. And that was kind of driving the next chapter of my life to not at all, nothing nearly the way of getting injured or, or cut from a top D1 team but certainly goes back to that soccer side of things. So, and again, you know, I think that's also a challenge people have of like comparing stories. Like it's, there's not a comparison. I mean, everybody's story is the most important story because it's theirs and mm-hmm. it's real. And we feel that and it changes us in some way. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, 
thank God I didn't go to the Naval Academy. Like I'm already a lot. I can't imagine if I went through military training, you know, like the way I would be unbearable to the real world. And so, you know, going to ND that way. And then it was like, thank God I got cut after my freshman year. Cause it's not like I'm going to play pro women's soccer. My body hurts bad enough when I wake up now at 34, you know, and I got to get out of bed and foam roll. Like I can't imagine if I played another three years unnecessarily, quote unquote. Right. And so learning, you know, I think that that that's the other part about life. If, if can we zoom out and see the big picture and can we trust like the current moment to, to the bigger, the story that, that we're living in and being so grateful for what we see as diversions in our life, which is really opening opportunity, you know, whether that's love or whether that's a business opportunity or whether that's just your next chapter and season of life. And for high performers, we're so stubborn that like, unless something dramatic happens, like, like we just keep pounding, you know, and whatever course we were charging through, you know, I think you hit on a good point, like your thoughts now. So there's two ways to think about that, right? Like one is what I just said of like, how do we trust that? But in the moment, you know, so many people do give up on their dreams and their hopes because of how they compare themselves to others or simply an experience that they have that they don't think right about. And so my advisor, Dr. Rick McGuire, You know, he's retired now, but he was the head track and field coach at the University of Missouri for 27 years and then led the sports psychology program there for 37 years. And he always says that sports psychology is just about learning how to think right. And if you're not an athlete, athletics, it's like sport and performance psychology, right? So anything that we do, it's just about learning to think right. And can we think right about the competition that we face, about the adversity that we face, about the industry that we're in or the market that we're trying to navigate right now, about our investments. And if we learn to think right about things, what we know is that our thoughts affect our emotions, our emotions affect our physiological response. And this is things like, I mean, your listeners all know this are in the healthcare space, but you know, your heart rate, your muscle tension, your visual field actually expands and constricts on this process. Your hormones change on this process. And ultimately how our bodies are determine our performance or how we show up in the moment. And thoughts start this process. And so we have to be very mindful about what we're thinking about. You know, I was the mental performance coach for Notre Dame football for five years. And after one of our first sessions, uh, we were out on the field and one of the guys came up to me and he put his arm around me and he looked down because I'm a lot shorter than these dudes. And he looks down, he goes, doc, I've never thought so much about what I've been thinking about, you know, because he started learning about his thoughts affect his emotions, which affect his physiological response, which drives his performance. And so in light of all of that, we have to be really cognizant about what we're thinking about and how we are thinking about things, knowing that those thoughts are generating new emotional states for us. And are those emotional states helpful or hurtful? Are those physiological states helpful or hurtful? And in your story, you know, thinking like, I'm never going to be as good as that guy. Like, how does that make you feel? Insecure, less than, a little weak, right? Physiologically, your heart rate settles down, like goes down or gets increased. Your cortisol starts to increase. And, you know, and then there's a protection mechanism of, well, let me just pull out before I, before I know that I'm not good enough. Let me just like take myself out of the equation before I, before I really find out I'm not good enough. And, you know, the reality of it is you probably were good enough and you probably could have done a lot of really good things from a soccer standpoint. And again, it's how we think about that stuff that changes how far we're willing to go, you know, as long as it's productive. I would have been a real catch at a D3 school somewhere. 
Yeah. I, I'm confident of that for sure. So you've gone into this performance side of things. You know, you've worked with Notre Dame, you've worked with incredible organizations that are doing great things. All of that eventually materialized into a book and it's just blowing up everywhere. I saw a number one new book in its category on Amazon. So congratulations. Thank you. I mean, it's it's just doing phenomenal. And as I said, it truly best book I've read all year, uh, recommended to all of our listeners. What was it that made you say, you know, I need to take these principles and actually put them out there in a book for the world? So, you know, I mentioned my psycho drive on things. 2020, right? It's like, oh, all fun things got canceled. Let's just work more. And now's a great time to write a book. And so it was like that season, but also because that season, it was just heartbreaking for me to see the amount of anxiety and depression and division that was happening in our world. And what I firmly believe is that the human brain is one of the most powerful unifiers of all divisiveness that we see in our world today. Because the brain doesn't care what color your skin is, what your socioeconomic background is, what gender you are, what religion you are. It simply matters that you're human. And the sad part is we don't talk a lot about our brain because we can't see it, you know? And yet this stuff, I just think like, man, I wish we could teach kindergartners about how their brain works, how it impacts how they show up because kids get it because we all live with our brain from the day we're born, you know? And what I had noticed, so when I first started in the mental performance space is clients would come to me and they'd say, you know, I'd love to work on my focus. And, and I'm like, okay, let's talk work on your focus. And like three sessions in, I realized like, wow, you don't really have a focus problem. You have an emotional control problem. And because you don't know how to manage your emotions, you can't focus at the moment of execution. Or people are like, you know, I would, I really want to work on my confidence. And so again, about three sessions in, I realized like, wow, you don't really have a confidence problem. You have an awareness problem because you're not really aware of what's going on inside of you or outside of you. Your confidence fumbles when certain things happen. And I took a step back and looked at what are really the fundamentals of a solid mental game and how can, again, we deconstruct that and teach it to people. Again, regardless of what your field is or what your endeavor is, so I built this program in 2013, and I've been teaching it to individuals, to teams, to organizations, to clients of all ages, of all levels, and in all industries. And invariably, what I've found is that once people get this foundation installed, first of all, they take way more personal responsibility and accountability back into their lives for their own circumstances. Because blaming other people and the environment and the government and others and your leader and your boss and your coach or your mom and your dad on why things are going the way they are in your life drives me crazy. And when people learn about the power they have in their mind, it often strips away their ability to blame other people and helps them recognize that they do have more control than they think they do. And then I also noticed that you know, they were able to, when something did come up where, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with my confidence, because they have a solid mental game and it's complete, they're able to break down and rethink and make necessary adjustments to get back to being confident and back to being their best selves. And so again, you know, the sort of combination of division that I saw in 2020 and the time that the pandemic gave us to do other things other than just work in our business and, you know, go to social events, 
you know, was sort of that culmination of now's the time to put these things together. And so again, this is a playbook. There's activities at the end of every chapter, championship mindset training to allow you to train your brain, just like you train your body, just like you train your craft. There's 46 QR codes embedded in the book and throughout the book. Those were like a little Easter egg on every (laughs) single chapter. It was like, here's extra content to go take this concept to a whole different level. I just absolutely loved it. I haven't encountered that at least anytime recently. And it was fantastic to anytime I wanted to say, gosh, I'd love to go a little deeper on that. Oh, there's a QR code. Every single time. It's fantastic. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And again, like the brain likes novelty. And so my hope was like this book could be more than a book. It could really be an experience for people and really a playbook of like, not just, hey, go win your mental game, but here's how to go win your mental game. And I was talking with, you know, a division one coach the other day, and we were talking about, you know, what mental performance is and how we could integrate it into their program. And they just said, you know, I have been coaching for 22 years and I've been telling my athletes, be positive, bounce back from adversity. Like, don't worry about those things, but I've never taught them how to do it. And they're like, I Mm. feel like such a terrible coach. Uh, Mm. Again, been saying the right stuff for 22 years, but I've never given them the skills to do it. That'd be like saying, you know, go hit a home run or go make a tackle, but never teaching somebody how to do that. Winning the mental game in this playbook is really about like, hey, be positive. Here's why it's important. And here's how to do it when it's really challenging. Hey, be confident. Well, here's the five keys to confidence. And here's how we can invest in those different elements so that we have something to draw our confidence from, particularly when we get shaken a little bit, because we all do. You know, it's not about being perfect. It's not about being, you know, having it together all the time. It's about navigating hard times and being resilient and fighting the good fight. But we got to know how to fight. And that's what I think excite. This is why I'm excited about this book, because, you know, I believe that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But we a lot of us just don't know how to renew our minds. And so to me, this is this is really uh, tangible ways that people can renew their mind and really show up as the best version of themselves when it matters most. And I love one of the things that you've taught me is that brain growth is just a very quiet process. So it's it's not like getting on the scale where we can just see it right in front of us so visually or seeing our track time improve or seeing our sales dashboard go up like a hockey stick. Brain growth is something that's happening more quietly. And so it's more difficult to measure it kind of from an empirical sense. And so I think a lot of times we don't even necessarily know when it's actually occurring. That's so true. And, you know, culture is similar. Um, you know, I think what what's uh, my world sort of revolved from the locker room to the boardroom, right? And from mindset to leadership and my philosophy on, on high performance teams and organizations and systems is that in order to have that, it needs to be a top down, bottom up and culturally relevant approach and strategy to how how we go about creating those things. And so, you know, the top down is really leadership. How do we create a culture in a system that's conducive to high performance? And then bottom up, how do we train people inside of that system to think right, to use their resources, to navigate adversity? And then when those two things combine, it's a really powerful transformation. And to your point, it's really hard to measure leadership. It's really hard to measure culture. And it's really hard to measure mindset and brain growth. 
But when you start to see the effects of it, it becomes so palpable and and tangible. And nobody really knows what to say about it or how to say it other than, man, we feel good. Things feel easy. It feels light to be here. It's not like, oh, we got to go to work or like, you know, and and you start to notice that you handle failure differently. Um, You, you navigate adversity differently. And I think that that was one of the most exhilarating things, you know, with Notre Dame football the last five years is when we, when we beat Clemson, which was the number one ranked team of the time at home in a COVID year, coach and I were talking and, and, you know, we were just like, he made the comment of, you know, it works and it worked and doing it the right way works. And it's really rewarding. And yet it's really hard. That's why it's so important to have leaders that truly believe in this because they have to stay patient and persistent long enough to build healthy cultures and give people a chance to grow mentally and emotionally into a better version of themselves. I love it. So Dr. Selking, we've talked about this concept of the playbook a little bit and really your book, The Playbook for Building Championship Mindsets. So tell us more about this concept of building those championship mindsets. Yeah, you know, I think that I think people think thoughts are just these ephemeral things that float around in the world and don't matter. (laughs) And what we know is that thoughts are really important. I mentioned that process earlier, thoughts, emotions, physiological response, performance. And so thoughts are important because they start that process. But thoughts are even more important because what we know is that repeated thoughts build mindsets. And mindsets are actual protein patterns that change the form and function of our brain. It's, it's scientifically, it's, it's a term called neuroplasticity. What we think about changes how our brain works. But in today's world, I like to refer to as mindsets as, as like Instagram filters, right? So you have, you've got a picture in Instagram and regard, you know, if you put a black and white filter over that picture, That changes the whole experience of the picture if you put a lo-fi filter over it. And mindsets are the same way. It acts as a filter on your brain. And when you encounter a certain moment or experience, that filter gets applied. So for example, that filter gets applied whenever we encounter a certain moment. And so, for example, I had a baseball player. When the bases were loaded, he struck out and retired the inning. So he started thinking, oh man when the bases are loaded, I'm not great at the plate. So then all of a sudden he found himself in that situation again. And guess what he thought about? Oh no, when the bases are loaded, I'm not great at the plate. And he struck out again. And so that thought pattern was reinforced. That mindset got a little bit stronger. Well, by the third at bat, he's in the dugout thinking, oh God, no, like I, I'm going to be up in the lineup next and the bases are going to be full and I'm going to strike out. And sure enough, he struck out. And so we were talking about this and he's like, oh my God, I've built this mindset. And so, you know, he's a division one athlete. So he's like done. And he just started rewiring that brain because the beautiful thing is the brain is not a muscle in the scientific sense, but it functions like a muscle in the extent that the parts of it that we use grow and get stronger. And just like when we lift weights, our muscles grow. When we stop lifting weights, our muscles get smaller. And so he recognized, I need to stop repping that thought and start repping a more productive thought. And so he started saying to himself, I'm my best when the bases are loaded. I'm the guy you want on up to bat when the bases are loaded. And he just kept saying it and saying it and saying it. And then 
couple games later, he found himself in that situation and hit a home run. You know, I just got the chills. And so, you know, they, all of a sudden we get four runs in that inning. And that's just the power of mindset. And again, we have to understand that how do we build championship mindsets? A mindset, again, is a patterned way of thinking about something. And in our, our thought patterns, our mindsets or our Instagram filters, championship filters. Are they championship mindsets, championship patterns? Like, and it can be about anything. You know, I live in South Bend, Indiana and my husband, God bless him. He listened, he's listened to a lot of my talks. And after one of them, he came up to me and he's like, you know, we, I just moved to South. We just moved to South Bend. And he said, you know, you talk a lot about mindsets. Um, but your mindset about the South Bend weather really sucks. And I was like, uh, well, yeah, because the permacloud comes in in October and it doesn't lift until May and you never know what weather you're going to get. And, bl- and he was like, my point exactly, maybe you should change it. And so I was like, touche. And so now my mindset is, hey, the South Bend weather, you never know what it's going to do. So it really helps us handle adversity and roll with the punches and, you know, all this stuff. And so we can have them from silly things, but people get grouchy about where they live and what community they're a part of or what color their skin is or how they are as a spouse or how they are as a communicator. And, you know, again, I just challenge people, are those mindsets that you have, those patterned ways of thinking, things you know you say a lot to yourself or think a lot about yourself, are they helping you or hurting you? And if they're hurting you, how can you start to think of a replacement thought, new ways of thinking that you can rep into your brain and literally transform who you are by renewing how your brain functions and building championship or healthier mindsets? That's so good. And Dr. Selking, before we go into my favorite part where I get to ask you two questions, I really want to wrap this up. We have a lot of listeners out there that they're founders of a company. And some of them are very seasoned, ultra successful in their businesses. Others are just getting started. And so I want to speak to those who are just getting started in building that company and they're encountering some of their first challenges along the way. What would you say to those founders to help them start to develop this new championship mindset? First of all, just make sure you believe in what you're doing. And whether that's a product or a service, you know, believe in what you're doing and then know it's going to be hard. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. And so I think just accepting the fact that, it, that yeah, challenges happen. It's going to be difficult. And, you know, it's really interesting. One of my mentors used the analogy, said, you know, when I was a young business leader, I remember one of our presidents came in and I was like, you know, you gave me this business and the supply chain this and our customers this and my employees this. My president looked at me and he said, man, you got to learn to love the business, the business, the game of business. And, and so as Tom was telling me this, he was like, this would be like a football player you know, running back, he gets the ball, runs up the middle, gets tackled by the linebacker. And he comes back to the huddle and says, "Ah, you guys, I was just trying to do my job and take the football and put it in the end zone and score points. And then that big mean man tackled me. Everybody would look at him and be like, well, yeah, bro, because we're playing football, you know? And so the same analogy is, well, yeah, you're going to have employee issues. You're going to have supply chain issues. You're going to have client issues. You're in the game of business. But like, we don't quit football. 
We go, we get an ice bath, we eat a meal, have a couple drinks, and like, guess what? We come back, we come back for practice the next day excited because we love the game. And when he told me that, it took such a burden off of me as an entrepreneur, as a vice president of leadership and culture in an incredible organization. You know, like you get frustrated about certain things, but can we just like, hey, this is part of the game and we love it and expect to get tackled, expect to feel beat up some days, but take an ice bath and have a drink and let's come back to practice tomorrow. And I think that's a really healthy mindset to have, again, if you believe in what you're doing and, and why you're doing it. That's so helpful. And, you know, I think of some of the top performers in the entire world as you're saying that. And one of the mottos of the Navy SEALs, embrace the suck. This is not going to be easy. And Dr. Selking, I love telling our listeners, I became an overnight success in business after a decade of grinding. (laughs) It was a really hard first decade. My first company was not ultra successful. My second company was not ultra successful. My third company was not ultra successful, but I learned so much through those. And then sure enough, my fourth business took off, exploded nationwide And I was able to sell in my late 30s. And it's just been an incredible ride. That's really what propelled me to being able to do healthcare venture capital and really spend the next chapter of my life helping bring the future medicine to the world. And it's so rewarding, but it's that compelling why behind it that kind of drives every day, even when things don't go well. And so I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And founders out there, I really hope you're listening to that. It's, you know, we see the crazy successes and just like I was comparing myself to the, you know, the America's greatest soccer player of all time, that's a lot of times what we do as founders in business. We look at these people that, you know, they exploded their company in three years and sold it for billions of dollars. And those are such exceptions to the norm the ones that we don't see, the much more normal are the ones that just grind it out and they face setbacks and they fight through them. But what I wish I would have had in that first decade was a toolkit for how to keep my mind in the right mindset throughout that. I didn't have that. And so I found myself very much at the edge of depression in parts of that decade. And that's a piece that I don't think founders all have to go through with the right training, with the right resources. And so that's a perfect lead into my favorite part of the episode where I get to ask you two questions. The first is the question everybody wants to know. And what it really is, is the question I want to know. And then the second question is the real question that everybody wants to know. So I already alluded to this at the beginning of the episode. My question for you today is what did Coach Holtz write on your football and what did that mean to you? So he simply wrote, Amber, if I could invest in 10% of your future, I would. Wait just a second there. There's a part before that (laughs) that I think is actually really important. What was the entire thing that Coach Holtz wrote on your football? Amber, you are special. If I could invest in 10% of your future, I would. And and so, I mean, what a what an incredible thing to have him say. And and then, you know, what an incredible 
thing for him to do because I actually followed up and asked him to to do that. So year tw- I already told you I'm a nerd about numbers. And so year 29 of my life, I actually went down and had dinner with Coach Holtz and his wife, his beautiful wife, Beth, before she had passed. And I asked him if he would invest in my future by mentoring me for once a quarter for year 29 of my life. And when he looked across the table at Beth and asked her if he could, and she smiled and said, yes, yes, you may. And so, you know, once a quarter in year 29, coach and I got on a phone call and and talked and we talked about life and we talked about marriage and we talked about football and it was just an incredible experience and just such an honor to have him do that. And one of the QR codes is actually a recording of, of part of our conversation during that season of life together, which was pretty special. That's so exciting. So exciting. What an incredible mentor to get to have. And uh, listeners, you, you hear this a lot, but I absolutely would not be where I'm at without incredible 100%. mentors in my life. And, and you're hearing that from Dr. Selking. But one of the common threads that we both share is we weren't afraid to ask those mentors to invest in us. And I think a lot of people are afraid to ask. Part of it is that mindset of maybe I'm not good enough or they're too busy or whatever it may be. But being willing to ask, what I've found is the greater the potential mentor, the most likely everybody else is scared to ask them. And so when I've asked people to step into those roles in my life, I've not yet had someone say no. And I've been able to ask some really, really incredible people to step into those shoes. And it has made all the difference. And so just want to encourage you, if you're a founder out there, or an investor, whatever you may be up to, that you take that time to get out there and pick somebody that you look at and say, oh my goodness, if I could model my life after a fraction of what they are doing or who they are, I would absolutely want to do that and go tell them that and tell them, I want to spend more time with you. And I'll be shocked if you get a bad response from that. That's so important. And, you know, I think the other thing is that when you're in those mental relationships, like it's your responsibility to come with an agenda, have a plan, ask really good questions. You know, a mentorship relationship is to your point, how can I model my life after that? And so, um, you know, don't, if you don't put that burden on the person you're asking and you're truly curious and, and want their wisdom and perspective, just Coming with that simple plan and those questions, to your point, Tommy, oftentimes they want to pour in and to give back in that way. And when people are hungry for growth, high performers want other people to be successful. I mean, that's generally what I've found. There's a couple people out there that have a scarcity mindset that, you know, want to hoard the greatness, but the best of the best want to help other people be successful because they're not threatened by that. But they also, you know, want to see you take responsibility and leadership over that relationship in terms of the question in the structure. And again, very rarely will people in those roles say no, if you come with that purpose and intention and passion for greatness. Well, Dr. Selking, thank you so much. We're going to go into the real question that everybody wants to know. And I think that is how can they take this to the next step? What are the resources or tools that you would recommend if somebody says, boy, I've been listening today and I realize I really don't have this championship mindset but I want to push into that. I want to go grow this quiet brain. I want to see it move to the next step. What should they do next? Yeah. I mean, just 
come to my website. It's www.selkingperformance.com and selking is S is in sport, E-L-K-I-N-G, selkingperformance.com. And we have a lot of free resources. We've got art, you know, performance articles. I've got a podcast called Building Championship Mindsets, which you can access. We're, you know, just finished season 11. So we've been doing the podcast for five years. You know, if you give me your email address, I'll send you a free PDF on 11 principles of greatness. You can also get the book through the site. And so again, just there's a lot of free stuff there. Again, it's all about how do we grow in our mindset and our leadership to really unleash performance excellence as an individual, in our teams, in our organizations. We just finished a really exciting event called the Purpose Summit, which is a global uh, leadership summit. We held it at the University of Notre Dame, and we're already planning next year's. We've got early ticket pricing. So if you, you know, I think the other thing that's really important as leaders is that we fill ourselves up and that we put ourselves around other leaders who are in similar places we are for that really iron sharpens iron experience. I think that as senior leaders, depending on how large your organization is, I know that whenever our executive team gets together, I leave feeling so jacked up because I've been with my peers that are challenged with the same things, that are thinking about similar futures and are really inspiring one another. And But a lot of times we're the senior most leader in the group. And so we don't always have that peer-to-peer accountability or insights or you know just peer coaching. And, and what we found at the Purpose Summit is that was a place that senior level leaders could come together and talk about how do we lead our businesses with purpose, with intention to drive um, impact in our people's lives, but also in the communities where our businesses are and ultimately drive our business. Because the thing about business is if you're not successful, you close the doors and then you can't impact people's lives or the communities, right? And so, you know, I would just encourage people to check that out because the early ticket pricing for next year is already in the loop. And we'd love to have you there as a place to sharpen your mind, to inspire your heart and to really equip you to take those steps. And so my website for some mindset resources, and then, you know, you can check out the Purpose Summit at thepurposesummit.com. And we'll put that link in our show notes as well, listener. We'll put Dr. Selking's website. We'll also put the Purpose Summit. You can just go wherever you're listening to your podcast, Spotify, Apple, you name it. Just go click on those show notes and you'll be able to go right to those links and get to those resources. So listeners, we can't do this without you. I'm so thankful you're here. Just again, continues to blow my mind the success that we've had with this podcast. And it's really because of you. So thank you for listening. Please just continue to enjoy the content. And we look forward to seeing you back here next week on Beyond the Ordinary. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc.